Welcome everyone to Beyond the Panel, brought to you by Balancing Life's Issues, the Business Council of Westchester, and the Westchester's ultimate headhunter, the Headless Horseman. I'm your host, Kai, and we're here to give the Talent Tuesday panelists an opportunity to follow up and dive a little deeper into the subject matter they recently spoke to on the webinar. Welcome to the program, Don Zinn. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Kai. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. We're happy to have you here. Uh, just tell me a little bit about yourself, the work you do, and how you're helping Westchester County. Sure, sure. Um, I'm a senior vice president with Stephen Douglas. Stephen Douglas is a national boutique based in southern Florida um, with about 165 people. So we're we're small enough to be able to pay real personal attention, but big enough to be able to have some real breadth and depth of service. Um, I am focused on the Northeast, and so uh, and I run the executive search practice in the Northeast for Stephen Douglas. Um, you know, my, the, the, the world of recruiting is an interesting world in that unlike accounting where you have to pass a CPA exam, law, we have to pass a bar exam, doctors, architects, engineers, countless professions that require a credential to get into it, re- recruiting has no barrier to entry whatsoever and you never know who's going to be there on the other side. Um, uh, you know, but, um, but I've been doing recruiting now at an executive search level for 18 years, so it's not new to me. And, um, but it's clearly chapter two. You take one look at me, you know, I've been around longer than 18 years, Kai. So um, <laughs> chapter one for me, I spent as a serial entrepreneur. I've started seven companies. I've raised over 30 million in venture and private equity capital. Um, I've had three liquidity events and two pretty catastrophic failures. So I don't walk on water. I've made some big mistakes, yeah. learned a lot from them as well. Um, and so uh, what I bring to the world of recruiting is not a recruiter's mentality, but an op- a business operator's mentality. And, and, and really, um, when I decided to get into recruiting in 2005, 2006, what I saw was that too often recruiters um, were very much focused on the transaction. Let me find as many resumes as I possibly can. And yet, whenever a company is making a change, at the, certainly at, at the middle to, and even more so at the very senior leadership levels, you have an opportunity to create strategic change in your company, unlike any other opportunity. And so to approach uh, to approach recruiting as a transaction, which means, you know, here's the spec we used for the person who was in that role three years ago, go find us somebody else who looks like that, is, is, is missing a huge opportunity. And so, you know, I've, I've crafted my search career around the concept that you really need to look at the business strategically. And before you start to rush to talk to people, you need to really figure out what the business need is. And so I, I start with a simple question, where, where, where do we need to be? Where does the business need to be in 18 or 36 months? And what's preventing you from getting there? Rather than starting with the question of um, who do you need to hire? Um, because the, the, the answer to that question is based on the business need. And hiring a great person sure. for the wrong role to solve the wrong problem doesn't result in a really good hire. So anyway... Um, Absolutely. I've been doing search now for 18 years. My brand is really mid-sized companies that are growing and scaling where I can lend that operational background that I that I have as a former CEO and help companies figure out who can help them get to the next level. That That's all great. And clearly you're bringing years and years of, of expertise to this field. And so I think I want to kind of zero in on kind of that recruitment part, right? Because obviously the landscape has changed. Employees' demands have changed. So, you know, what, what are the biggest differences you've seen when it comes to recruitment and, you know, what does it mean to find and actually hire 
hire that talent nowadays? I don't know that it's changed as much as you think. I, I, and I got to tell you that, you know, the pursuit of really good talent has always been difficult. Okay. Um, why? Because, you know, really talented people are fewer and further between than we'd like to believe. And they're always really in demand. And so um, if, if you are in pursuit of very high end talent, you got to have your act together. You got to know what you're looking for. You got to know what's compelling about your opportunity. You got to be prepared to select, but then you also got to be prepared to sell. And, um, and, and, and too often, too many companies forget about the latter, feel like, well, if I'm hiring, you know, everybody should just want to be here. And, 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 you know, the, 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 the harsh fact of life is that, you know, chances are nobody's knocking on your door and begging to be there. We've got to figure out why do they want to come and work for us. Got it. And yeah, I really like that why part. Um, so, you know, I'm a small business uh, in Westchester County. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm trying to keep up with, with the demands of, of what it means to hire, uh, to be that department. So can you talk to me about helping create that why somebody wants to work with me? Like, how do you sell that part? Well, again, look, first, first of all, it starts with really knowing what you're looking for. If, if, if I'm a candidate looking for a job, um, I, I want the company I'm talking to have real insight into what they need to get to that next level. Uh, if they don't know what they want, then it's hard for me to know whether I can succeed and help them get there. And uh, certainly if we're hiring somebody who is what I call a passive candidate, somebody who's not on the job market, somebody who is gainfully employed, somebody who is succeeding somewhere else, you know, we have to come prepared to the table. And, you know, and, and so that starts with having a real thorough understanding of, of, of what we need to have happen in order in, in, in order to create the success that we're looking for. So what is the role? What are the responsibilities? Um, what are the experiences that we're looking for? Um, what are the behavioral attributes that work for success in the long term in our company? And we, we, we need to be able to communicate those. And, uh, you know, there, there's still some employers who think, oh, I don't want to tell the candidate that. Then if they hear that stuff from me, they're going to tell me what I want to hear. But I certainly believe that when you're recruiting at a high level, transparency is the best best way to go no nobody nobody wants to pull the wool over your eyes to get a position for the long term because the first day you walk in and you have the job if you're not who you advertise it's going to be obvious and it's not it's not going to work anyway yeah. so i i believe very much in transparency up front and then you know and then do do a thorough examination of the of the people and make the decision based on the right parameters Gotcha. Nice. And I like the idea of transparency. So like when it comes to that, can you talk to me a little bit about setting up, you know, our values, our work culture, like what's, what's the difference there and, and how, how can you, what's the best way to get that in front of a potential employee to create that level of transparency? You, you know, I, I'm first of all, cu culture, the culture question is such an interesting question. If you go around and ask every CEO in Westchester County, what their culture is, I'm going to guess that you're going to have such such narrow variation on what the reaction is. They're all going to say there is no I in team. Once we come into a conference room, there are no titles. You know, yeah. we're all collaborative. We all support each other. Um, and yet, you know, Kai, I can't tell you how often I've been in that conference room with a bunch of executives, and nobody says boo until the CEO speaks, and then everybody mm -hmm. just agrees with the CEO. Sure. And so. So, so, so the first rule there is, is that you, you can't ask, you know, a, a company what their culture is. You sort of have to experience it and feel it and see it 
in order to really understand it. And, you know, and, and so, you know, how does that impact the recruiting process? It means that smart candidates want to meet enough people um, and, and, and want to be in a group meeting at some point in time to really get a feel for how the conversation flows, how people interact, how it all works together. In the end, both the hiring company and the candidate who wants the job want to understand, you know, who fits in that empty chair in the conference room and, you know, and what is, and what does that mean? And, and, and in the end, by the way, fit more often than not is the hardest thing to determine, um, you know, skills, experiences, you know, I, I don't want to say it's mundane, but we're all pretty good at that. At, at yeah. That kind of yeah. Um, really figuring out, you know, you know, if the person fits or not um, is the hardest part of it. And, 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 and by the way, look, you know, interviewing is, you know, we're interviewing for a win-win solution. And so, you know, the candidate's got to figure that out too. And, and, sure. and, you know, because, you know, if you don't have a win-win, you have a lose-lose. And uh, I mean, it's, it's not that one side can win and the other can lose the definition of the employment scenario is it has to be a win-win or it doesn't work. And so again, which is why the transparency is so important. Uh, um, but, um, you know, you know, it's, 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 it's gotta feel comfortable. Um, it's, it's gotta be comfortable. There's gotta be chemistry and you need to understand what works in your company and what doesn't work in your company and be able to talk about it and address it. Nice. So, you know, when it comes to that, um, what are your thoughts on like whittling down like non-negotiables? So like say I'm I'm a, a potential candidate and, you know, here are my list of demands, right? You know, one of them is ability to work remotely. Um, and I think there are a lot of there are a lot of words that get thrown out there right now that maybe get misunderstood. So maybe like given the landscape, like what kinds of things are you seeing like uh, working remotely, but it's actually they're just asking for flexibility. You know what I mean? Like, can we talk about whittling kind of those kinds of ideas down? You, you know, when when you know at, at the panel when I talked about the non-negotiables, I was really talking about it from the from from the other perspective, from the side of the employer. You you raise a really interesting um, you know perspective um, that I wonder as a candidate if people have. I mean, when when I do interviews for candidates, I say, "What's on your list? What are the attributes you need to see? What's on your checklist?" Um, but I have a sense that most people interviewing for jobs don't approach it that way. And darn, they really should. So, I mean, you, your, your question's a great question. I think very few people from the candidate side really think about it. I mean, what do they think about? They think about the money um, uh -huh. and, 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 they, and they think about the role. But I don't know that candidates have a long enough list of what of what they need to be looking for in order for them to be convinced that it's the right opportunity for them. And, and, and look, you, you know, part of this is um, we're, 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 we're trained to be competitive. And if you're interviewing, you want to win. Uh, mm -hmm. and, 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 and yet at some point on both sides of that equation, you need to take a step back and figure out, is this, is this the right thing? Is this the best thing? Is it a win-win? I mean, again, that's, that's sort of what, what you got to be looking for? Does it have win-win potential? Uh, so, look to answer your question. I I think that you know remote, you know versus flexible. The, the problem with remote is you, you you don't have you know the community, a sense of community um, there, and and it is hard to create engagement and weave a culture together when everybody is remote. Now, does that mean that the answer is, well, then everybody needs to be together 
every day of the week or at all hours. No, I think we've learned over the past three years that that's not necessary either. Um, but I think, you know, the pendulum is still swinging. And, 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 and in the end, you know, pendulums seek balance. And we haven't found the balance between the two extremes yet. We went from five days a week, eight hours a day in the office to five days a week being, being home. And, and, and now we're trying to find what the balance that makes sense is. And, you know, and, and I'm not smart enough to be able to tell you what the right answer is. And I think it's going to be different for every company. It depends on the amount of collaboration that's needed. Um, me, what I do as, a, as a, an executive search, I, I, can, I can do this from anywhere. And, yeah. um, you, you know, and I'm also at the point in my career where forming relationships and, 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 and the socialization part of my job is not nearly as important to me as it is to, you know, my son who's in his mid thirties and a rising star, um, you know, but somebody who wants to be in the middle of something that's important yeah. and where he feels a set, that sense of community. So, you know, at different ages, at different stages, the answers are different to, to your question. So I think what I'm hearing is just like the importance of, well, flexibility on the employer's part, right? So maybe that's part of that keeping talent, um, which I, I'd like you to speak to a little bit as we kind of close out this conversation. I, I, you, know, look, you, you, you also have to be, you, you have to look at the bigger picture. Um, I have a client in New Jersey that's a manufacturing company you know, in, in the plant-based protein space. The executive team doesn't need to be in the office five days a week, but the plant is right next door to the executive offices and everybody in the manufacturing plant needs to be there yeah, in order right. for the manufacturing to get done. Sure, of course. So, you know, does does the CFO need to be at the at, at the plant location to do his job? No, he doesn't. But but does it does it feel right for the executive team to not be there when three quarters of the company has to be there? You know, all day long, every day. Uh, so you've, you've you've got to look at that, which is why there is no one answer to to this. It depends what your company does. It depends how collaborative you need to be it you know it it depends you know on 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 every situation and and in the end i think you know common sense should actually rule you should you know there is no well we have to do it this way i think what's the best way to do it and then just do it i appreciate that and that you know it's encouraging um i i it does feel like though for some businesses that it's hard to to put that that idea of understanding of, of common sense into practice, you know, right? There are bottom lines to meet. Uh, there are deadlines to meet. There's, there's so much more productivity created when, when you're not behind the wheel of a car commuting or taking the train to somewhere. I mean, you know, you know the fact the fact that, you know, I can get up in the morning, grab a cup of coffee and be at my desk, you know, five minutes later before I've been shower and check on my email in the morning you know, I mean, it's it's huge. And huge. then, you know, get my day going and I'm here and I'm huge doing benefit. it and I'm not wasting all, all, all that time. So, you know, but only certain people and only certain functions work perfectly remote. And um, and again, I think at, at different stages in, in, in your career, you you want you want different things. And, and I think while it is the younger generation of workers who what what I hear yeah. says that they want more of that flexibility. I think that group, if to that group, it's even more important that they have the socialization and community. And I mean, you know, your business education continues throughout your business career. And 
but you get out of college and you got some intellectual tools, but you don't have the behavioral right. tools. You don't have the understanding. I mean, people are not one dimensional. Um, you know, it's a three dimensional sure. puzzle. Yeah. And the only way you get to understand how to solve that puzzle is to be there with people. And so, you know, I, I think, you know, first five years out of college, um, you know, and it's what I said to, to, to you know, to my son, um, you know, his dad was an entrepreneur. He got out of college, wanted to start his own company. I said, don't do it. Spend five years working for a big company. Get an understanding of what the world of business is really like. Absorb all the training you possibly can. Yeah. Big companies, you know, you know, can, can do that. And, and, and you need to do that on the, on the scene. And then right. if you want to start your own thing, go ahead, go ahead and do it. And I, I think th that, that applies to the working remote question, too. At the very beginning of your career, doing that, I, I think it's a good way to end up being lost. Yeah. And, you know, obviously it's hard to read a room, you know, when we're on a, on a zoom, you know? Um, but I guess last question here. Um, I think this, this process can be, it, it involves so much. It, it's hard to organize it, put it in your mind and figure out the best step forward. So if you could give like, just like one piece of advice based off of what we talked about here today, you know, what would that piece of advice be just to really help narrow down moving in the best direction possible? Well, look, you know, my perspective is from the employer's perspective. And so, you know, my, my advice to companies, um, you know, especially companies that are growing, you know, and, and look, you know, Westchester County is the home of many big, iconic companies. But if you look at the Business Council of Westchester membership, you know, there's hundreds and hundreds of small and medium-sized businesses. It's really the lifeblood of Westchester County. Small and medium-sized businesses are where the growth in the American economy is coming from. The definition, though, of a small to medium, fast-growth company suggests that every morning that the CEO walks into that company or office, they're running the biggest company they've ever run because they're growing. And so sure. the, the concept of knowing what lies in front of you when you've never been there before, when you don't have the experience mm -hmm. suggests that when you, when you look to surround yourself with other leaders and you're hiring your key leadership team, you really want to look at this concept of scale and try to capture people um, who have a little bit of vision into what lies on the road ahead. If you're a $10 million company, you know, getting to 10 million is not the same as getting to 20 as, as going from 10 to 25. And go from 25 mm -hmm. to 50 is yet yet again another set of challenges. And so for for the for the company leader who has never been in that bigger business to surround him or herself with talent that has experience at those next levels and can sort of help you avoid making some of the mistakes. Look, good good CEOs make mistakes all the time. Just yeah. react to them quickly and move and, and 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 move on. But you know the lesson I learned as a CEO was, it would have been great if I had some people who could have helped me avoid just some <laughs> Just some yeah, of just, them. Just some of them. We're never going to be perfect. But if, if I could have had people around me who could, who could have told me where some of those mines were buried and I could have avoided them, it would have been just that much better. Gotcha. It's, kind of, it's like a good sport analogy. You know, you surround yourself with people who are better, right? And then you all get better together. Oh, hey, that's, that's the magic of being a great CEO. It's not about being the smartest person in the room. And when you do that, magic can happen. That's great. That's great. Well, you know, that kind of, that wraps up our time here. And, you know, big thank you to you, Don, um, for your help with Westchester County. Thanks to Bouncing Life's Issues, the, the Business Council of Westchester, and Westchester's Ultimate Headhunter, 
the Headless Horseman. Be sure to check out thebcw.org for upcoming webinars and events, including Talent Tuesdays. Thanks again, Don. You're welcome. Thank you, Kai. All right. Until next time, take care, everyone. Bye.